Okay. Uh, welcome back, everyone, from lunch. Um, we've got two lectures to follow, um, but just after Pete addresses the question that someone asked uh, just before lunch, which you wanted to. Do. Oh yes, yes, that's right. Um, I've I've been given a little bit of thought about the, um, the remark of the uh, uh, young lady. I think it's uh, it was yes, it was you. Um, about the demand and supply of, of the venture capitalists. Um, you know, in, in an interest rate model like this one, demand supply considerations for goods are not central. They are central, though, in the real bills <coughs> model. The real bills model is very much alike, very similar. Um, but it's not. It was presented by Rudy, and, and of course, in a limited space of time, you cannot um, go into and cover everything. But demand-supply considerations would come into play with the real build system, which is an international trade system, if you like. It it replaces international trade, and and not not only international trade it starts locally, but if you have capitalists, or no, I should use another word, if you, if you have market makers, which in the real bills model would be called uh, not acceptance houses, but discount houses, let's call the specialist there a discount house, who would trade in the middle, buys at the low price and sells at the high price. Internationally, these bills, short-term credit we may call it, but obviously this is a second source of credit, which is consumption. Consumption being demand and supply considerations. The specialist will have a vast array. He's got a network all over the world to do his arbitrage. Equalizing the discount rate, not the interest rate, discount rate. Obviously we don't have much time to go into this because the next lecture is um, Thank you very much for uh, trying to answer. I, that was not exactly my question, but uh, I think there is not enough time for us to discuss now. Afterwards. We can, uh, we can do that. Afterwards. Right. Yeah. Sorry, that was um, all I'm saying today. Yeah. I'll keep quiet for now. <laughs> um, so uh, now we have um, the lecture scheduled as gold, GoFo basis and falling gold prices. So. That will be the second half of the lecture. The first half of the lecture is going to be a very quick um, introduction uh, to the futures market, backwardation, and contango. So I will need the whiteboard for that. Thank you. So, futures market. Does anyone know where the first futures market was developed? It was developed in Japan, and it was um, in the 18th century for rice. So you had a market that was created for the delivery of rice at a certain time in the future with the price negotiated now. Okay. So there are two things to think about, sort of, um, in a futures market. Uh, you've got the underlying good on which the future is based, and you have the futures contract itself. Okay? 
So just think about those two things. Um, so let's start from very, very simple, from a simple base and develop the concept higher and higher and sort of show how futures markets in uh, agriculture can be applied to uh, futures markets in, in gold under a fiat regime, which is slightly, which is different, but not that much different. Okay? So, I want you all to consider this, an annual apple harvest. Okay? So, once a year, you have, um, you have an apple harvest. So, come the season, the prices at this local market in the village, where these apples are, are brought to, reflect how bounteous or not the harvest had been. So, it's not hard to imagine in that scenario, you know, you've got um, an annual apple harvest and people wanting apples, but you've only got apples sort of at that time of year that a market for future apple delivery might develop to pri prior to harvest season. Okay, so speculation on the price of apples when it comes to, uh, when it comes to actual mature, uh, delivery of the harvest, as it were. Okay, so for example, the last harvest might have bought, brought an average price of, I don't know, a pound a kilogram. And it's expected that uh, the next harvest is going to be uh, much better and that um, prices are going to be uh, lower. Okay, so a market in the future, in, in apples delivered in the future with the price negotiated now, a futures market would develop. Okay, and if apples cleared at um, last harvest, if they cleared at, let's say, 10, and you're, you're ex the market is expecting a much bigger harvest this year, um, what is, is, it, is the futures price likely to be at a premium or a discount to 10? Discount, okay, discount. Now, someone who writes an apple future, as an sells an apple future for gold, uh, doesn't have the ability to hedge their exposure. Okay, they, because there are no apples, basically, before harvest. Okay, so there's no way for someone who's written a futures contract in this apple, in this village with the apple harvest, there's no way for them to hedge their exposure. And that's just because apples in this particular scenario don't exist prior to harvest. Okay? So you have to think about that as well. The availability of the underlying good behind the, uh, the future. So when you don't have the ability to hedge the underlying exposure, the price of 
the futures contract represents the price that's actually expected at that time. Okay? But this is a very peculiar case of futures markets. Very, very peculiar. Why? Because in most cases you do have access to the underlying. Okay? But many people, many financial analysts still make the confusion that the future price of whatever they're looking at is what the market expects the price to be at that time. And that's wrong. That's only applicable in the most contrived situation, which is an example of which I've just given here. Okay? Okay. So, no hedging, no underlying access to the good implies uh, no hedging. Sorry, implies that the future price, futures price, is equal to the expected price. Now, what happens if these underwriters can source apples out of season? Would that change the nature of what the futures price curve would say from what it says currently? Well, it would. It would. Okay? So, in that previous example, the fact that apples will be abundant in the future does not change the fact that apples are scarce now, as it were. So it would be likely to command the price at these comparables the last season. So someone who's got apples out of season somehow can benefit from this situation. Because what they would do is they would start selling apples for nine and buy this for seven. Okay, so when you have the ability to hedge your underlying futures position, as it were, as a writer, the curve changes, but it's still saying the same thing though, basically. So what would happen is that the person that has access to apples will bring this curve uh, progressively uh, flatter. Right, okay, is that clear? It keeps the price more constant, is what you're saying. It keeps the price of the futures contract more constant, it's going to be less volatility. Well, no, no, no. All I'm saying is that because he has access to apples that no one else does, and no one else does, he's the only one that can basically sell up here and buy here. So we don't, so we don't have a common market. We have a, a market that's effectively dominated by one individual. Um, 
No, because he's not got any Apple exposure at the end of the day, because he's sold Apples here and he's buying Apples here. Um, <clears throat> he's just making the most out of an arbitrage opportunity that other people don't have access to. And in the process of him doing that, he's bringing this curve out of the steep thingy. I'm not going to call it, but I'll call it out of a steep backwardation into a less steep backwardation. Okay, I know we're arguing tech technically here, but mm. you know, apples are a common good. Yeah. So why should one particular individual have access to, to apples when the rest of well, the world? Well, no, that's what I've said. I'm not, I'm not going further into why he does have that ability. Okay. You know, I'm just saying that he does. So it doesn't keep the price of the contract uh, constant then? No. It, because he has that ability, or anyone that would have that ability, they will take the arbitrage opportunity that they see there, but they'll stop doing it if it becomes flat or moves into contango the other way. They'll only do it because there's this premium for apples nearer the present than there is when there's a glut expected from the harvest, basically. Okay? So when you have the ability to warehouse or store the underlying, then the nature of what the futures curve tells you changes. Okay? So the vast majority of goods you can warehouse and store. Okay? So the futures price curve doesn't tell you the expected price in the future of that underlying good by the market. Okay? That's what I want, the point that I want you to get in your heads here is that there are goods which you can and cannot warehouse and store. Okay? We'll take the concept further. Excuse me. So this is temporary monopoly, your skill now. It's just an example. In what, uh, what way uh, is this a monopoly? You have a monopoly at a certain time. Uh, after that time, everyone has access, or more people have access. Yeah. So this is still valid if, if, if many people had underlying access to the underlying, not just one person. Yeah. This, this example is still valid. Yeah, that's, that's fine. Uh, so there are real life examples of that. There are uh, quite a few, actually, because you can have, for example, the patent of uh, rice in uh, by like Monsanto, and this crop is okay uh, at this time, but uh, later many more uh, varieties of rice can exist. So you have uh, or coffee, you you have uh, the only uh, coffee uh, technology can allow these kind of examples because you have a monopoly for a short period of time, and after that you put other people that are for various reasons. This is still valid if, 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 I, if I said everybody had access to it, okay? There's no, I'm not, I'm not trying to say that someone has a monopoly and is able to do this. I'm saying if this was the situation beforehand, and then people had a different situation and had access to apples, then this would still happen. It's just that everybody would do it, not just the one person who has access to the apples, basically. This is also assuming the stock and floor ratio of apples is less than one. Uh, I'm not assuming anything about stocks to flow. Why? 
Because if you have a commodity that's got more stock than the floor, this shouldn't exist. No, you're, 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 you're taking the argument further here that I want to at the moment, yeah. Sandy, can I just, just say here, yeah. I think, are you just simply saying that with some uh, goods you can warehouse and with some you can't? I am saying that. I'm saying that you have to bear that in the back okay. of your mind for what I'm going to say okay. <laughs> going forward. <laughs> um, with coffee, if I write a coffee future, if, uh, for December delivery, I have access to cash coffee in the interim. It's not like I'm writing a coffee future without access to cash coffee. But in this example that I'm giving here, I'm writing an Apple future to begin with without access to apples. Okay. Okay. You can do that with coffee, but yes, I understand what you mean. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, for example, Things which you can warehouse and things which you can't warehouse. Euro-dollar contracts, VIX contracts, cannot be warehoused. They are unwarehousable. Okay? So what does that mean? That means that a future price for VIX does actually give the markets expected volatility at that time. Okay? And this is, a, I'm only talking to people who are in finance here. But if you wondered why a VIX futures actually gives the market's expectation of volatility at that time, it's because you cannot hedge the underlying volatility of the market in the future. There is no object which allows you to do that. It just is what it is when it happens. Okay? Let me finish. Let me finish. Okay. Now, so euro dollars, VIX. Okay, you can't warehouse these. Now, what about uh, corn and silver? Or copper? Are these things warehousable? Yes. They are. Copper is now and copper is the same in five months' time. But the volatility of the market now is not the same as the volatility of the market in five months' time, okay? Understand the difference. Now we take the concept further, okay? And we bring it to um, We have entities. And we said that some are warehousable. And you can refine that further. buy cash coffee and sell coffee futures. Is there an underlying market for borrowing and lending cash coffee? No. Well, there might be, but I don't think it's very, um, I don't think it's very active. So, you have a further refinement from warehousable goods to lendable goods.
Dan dulu So can anyone think of something that's warehousable and lendable? Metal commodities, gold. Yeah, apart from gold. Platinum. Aluminium, copper. Platinum, palladium, copper. You know, so there are a few things, but not many, that are not only warehousable, but they're also directly lendable themselves. Maybe. So that makes it, that makes the, uh, the problem even more subtle now. So now we move away from the examples of these commodities to gold. Okay, because gold is not only uh, warehousable, but it's also lendable. Can I just ask, is, is, can you not argue that anything warehouseable is lendable? Theoretically it is, but whether that actually develops or not is, is another matter. Except of course that there is something good. I'm sorry? It has to do with how very simple it is. I mean, yeah. Even though you can store uh, strawberries for how long? You can store oil. Yeah. I, I don't know whether there's an underlying borrowing and lending market in Oil, cash oil, but you could. Probably, I think yeah. Yeah. Years, yeah. You know. Including Morgan Stanley. Big bank is outside the Gulf. It's all there. So when you've got this refinement of lendability, you have to take it slightly further. Something that's warehousable and not lendable would be something like, um, I don't know, um, frozen concentrated orange juice. Okay? Um, so let's move to gold and take it to the next step. You, you, could, you could say that consumables will be not lending in the sense that you don't get this, the same consumables back. You just get some other consumables of the same quality. Yeah, don't, um, don't, I'm, I'm just trying to develop the concept here. I mean, you can all find your own ideas to fit the concept, you know, but the concept is the important thing. Yeah. Okay. Um, if you have gold, you buy gold, and you sell a six-month future, let's say you bought gold at 1300 and you sold it at 1350 for six months delivery, bearing in mind that gold is lendable, and I'm talking about the fiat regime here, obviously, because a gold futures market doesn't mean anything under an unadulterated gold standard. It only means something in a, in a, in a, in a fiat market. Okay. So if you're doing this, buying and selling for six months delivery, what can you do with the, uh, 
the gold in the interim. Lease it. You can lease it. Okay. And if that, what's the maximum, what's the legitimate maximum period of that lease? Five months, whatever number of days. Yeah. Okay. So you can lend that gold legitimately for uh, less than six months. Why? Yeah, because you have to deliver it at the end of uh, six months, <coughs> or you might have to deliver it. Okay. Now. Um, What if the person who holds this contract is not willing to take, or doesn't want to take hold of the gold, but wants to hold the next contract that you write? Think, oh, jolly good, I can do this again. You know. And what if you have an inkling that they'll never want to take hold of the gold, but just hold the gold futures? What would you be tempted to do with the length of the lease here. Extend. Hmm? Extend. Yeah, for as long as possible. Because you know that the underlying holder of this future is not is not going to want to take hold of the gold. Well, Ever. Allow him. Yeah, that He's comes bad. later on. <laughs> but before that, you know. It's easier to hold a gold future than it is to hold cash gold. You only have to put up 3% margin or whatever it is, um, and you've got the rest on credit. If you buy cash gold, you have to pay for it up front 100% in cash. So there are many, many, and if you look at the spread on gold futures versus the spread on cash gold, it's much narrower. Okay, that shows that this is a really artificial, contrived market. There is no way that a gold future should have a narrower spread than cash gold itself. And that shows how much the market makers and the banks are involved in keeping that market together, basically, because it would never, it would never be in that state were it not for them holding the market there. Okay? So the temptation is basically, if you know that you're never going to get the person holding this contract to want to take delivery is to extend this lease for as long as possible because you get more income for um, longer leases. Can I ask a question? Mm. It's, it's a basic one. Just explain to me why somebody would want to uh, take the lease on gold. Good, good question. Um, not many people would. It's only sort of hedge funds stupid hedge funds, you know, who want to borrow gold as funding, and miners who want to hedge their production in this environment, and the odd jeweller in India, although not much at the moment. Would a central bank want to take a lease on gold? Would they want to borrow gold? Yes. It would be unusual. I mean, unless they had some kind of gold liability themselves. Unless they didn't have the gold in the first place and needed to show have access to it. Oh yeah, you could <laughs> borrow the gold for six months and then give it back. Sort yeah. of. Yes, you could do that. For, for lower interest rate. Yeah. Lower interest cost. Yeah. But um, 
that would be, uh, you'd be pretty desperate to be doing that kind of thing. Sort of if you want to show that you have a gold balance, because you said you have one, but you don't, you know. Um, that would be very desperate, very near the end. We may see some desperate things that way. Yeah, we might. We might. No doubt about that. No doubt about that. So if there are very few people who release the gold, then you do not really need No, because you want your gold back. <laughs> you can think, okay, I will buy that, but when I will need it? No, we're developing this further, uh, this, this, okay. this further, because buying gold doesn't mean anything. It's like, it, 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 it's a grammatical, it, it, it's a nonsense sentence, it's a nonsense statement, buying gold. 